Conversations That Matter podcast. I am your host, John Harris, for part two of the T4G uh, panel discussion on critical race theory. We heard the first half last podcast. You can go check that out. In fact, you probably need to for this one. And we're going to talk about the second half of it. And uh, we left off with Pastor Bobby uh, basically saying that his dad suffered discrimination. He had disparities in where he went to school. And critical race theory tries to make sense of all this stuff by showing the motivation behind it. And so there's a helpful analytical tool, if you will, uh, that critical race theory offers. And this was in contrast to what Kevin DeYoung had shared, which was basically that racism is probably worse than white people think it is. But he disagrees with some of the fundamental core tenets of critical race theorists, like interest convergence, which says that race relations, uh, th- that when when they get better as a result of legislation or something, that's just a mirage because white people are maintaining their white dominance. And so it questions the motive of people unnecessarily. And then he went on to say that actually this challenge is the gospel. This is this, this can lead to real mission drift. And so uh, I really was hoping that Kevin Young would focus a little more on that. Like, how does this challenge the gospel? Well, because it's a false gospel. It has its own uh, ways of rectifying sinful uh, it, situations by getting woke, participating in activism as a means for grace, really, if there is a granny grace, but there really isn't, but that, that's those are the sacraments, if you will, and then uh, striving for this heaven on earth, this equity, inclusion, and diversity uh, world. And, um, and of course, the, the bad news is that we have white privilege. It's not original sin. It's that we violated political correctness. Um, and it's that we're going to have to be canceled if we uh, don't do the right thing. And so it, it's a whole different gospel. It's a whole different religion. And I really wish Kevin DeYoung would have knocked that out of the park. Talked about how uh, woke woke ideology, critical race theory um, promotes these quote unquote oppressed perspectives. And it's a direct challenge to revelation because when you do this and say that there's special knowledge that someone has because of an experience, a set of experiences that are only attached to certain social locations, then not everyone has the same access into truth. And that would mean the truth of the word of God can't even be accessed uh, to the same degree. And, and this is a big problem. And we see these kinds of things happening in the quest to, to diverse membership and um, elder boards and theological libraries, because this is all rooted in the idea that, well, we don't have the full truth or we just don't have, we're, we're hampered if we just don't have these oppressed perspectives that we need to have in order to make our church better. And and so um, he, he could have gone into that. He could have gone into the justice that critical race theory advocates, which is really Lady Justice taking her blindfold off. Uh, he could have gone into... Um, uh, how and, and it is a legal theory, so that actually is directly relevant. Um, and he could have gone into uh, the ideology of it a little more. He did. He did some, but just how it flattens people and really makes them out to be—they're not even human anymore. They're either oppressed or oppressors. And but we—we we, it, it was a little little limp, I thought. Uh, and and it, and there were some good things though. Kevin DeYoung shared some really good things, I have to say, and I'm grateful for him. In, in the, he did go after interest convergence. He did say critical race theory was a threat to the gospel. That was really good. But I think there's a nervousness there, and we're going to find out today whether or not that continues uh, in Kevin DeYoung's uh, response to this, and we'll see if he challenges Bobby directly. Uh, by saying, you know, essentially what, what I would say, I ended the last program this way, but that, look, critical race theory has done nothing to promote good race relations. If anything, it's done what just the opposite of that. It's fomenting issues. And we saw in 2020 probably the worst 
uh, kind of fomentation and the destruction of property. Two billion, I think, is the latest estimate. Two billion dollars of destruction of property, people murdered. Uh, it's you know taking down historical symbols, destroying historical um, relics or monuments and. Uh, it's just it's it's done a whole lot of damage. Uh, crime going up because of the Ferguson effect in some of these cities, and more people dying as a result of that. And so, I would really want to get into that and be like, "Look, you think critical race theory helps make sense of all this stuff? This is what critical race theory is doing." Furthermore, critical race theory assumes that everything is done for the the purpose of power and accruing power and maintaining power. And it's these straight white males who want power for their social group and from the beginning. And it's the same now. And that's just not true. People are more complex than that. And uh, of course, we would be fools to deny that people want power and sinful people in particular. But we would also be very foolish to say that that's what motivates everything. And it's a particular class of people that's trying to hold on to some kind of a domination and it's it's white it's straight white males and that's what they're doing i mean it's also straight white males who have um really helped in the process of uh and and been participants i should say in the process of building up trust with black uh, people and and getting us to the point i think we were at that point uh, under george w bush more of uh uh, having uh, good relationships. And um, I think it was, you know, straight white men who have uh, allowed the level of immigration that has taken place of people coming into this country and sharing in the benefits of the United States. Everyone wants to come here. If it's such a horrible, oppressive place, that doesn't seem to be a, a reasonable outlook. But that's, I, I, we'll see. We'll see if that's what Kevin DeYoung does. So uh, let's, let's keep going with this. And, um, and, and let's see if he goes for the jugular. So, Bobby, can, can I come to any of those same conclusions? Can I make any of those same observations without the help of critical race theory? I hope so. <laughs> That's, our, our Bible is our authority. And so if a secular theory helps, and I'm thankful for scholars, Paul knew Platonic thought. I just tried to quote that to you. He knew secular ideology. And I don't want to, there are real Christian scholars that I know who study critical race theory and other things. I'm thankful. Okay, stop here. Just remember the difference between those two. If you're studying math and philosophy, these are rules baked into natural revelation, the relationships that exist in the world. And uh, and so so studying logic, studying philosophy, um, studying, uh, you know, Pythagorean theorem and stuff. I mean, this is different than um, and and philosophy. Of course, there you know, you could have uh, I'm I'm really more thinking of logic and, um, you know, uh, uh, math and stuff. Philosophy, uh, I'd have to spend more time on, but uh, there are certain things. My whole whole point is we live in a real world that operates by laws. And if your job is to discover those laws, and if you're a good observer and you have the faculties God's given to observe, then yeah, you can be a non-Christian and find out some cool things and relationships between things. And, and of course, but critical race theory is more about the assumptions that exist in the minds of sociologists that have, and, and, and thinkers, uh, academics that have, um, that, that are really fantasy world. They're not, they don't comport to the real world and they're just imposed on the real world. It's not trying to look at the real world and think, well, we see this relationship. What explains that? It's, it's more an assumption on the front end that power motivates everything. And, uh, power dynamics and that what what are the results of that you have to kind of start with this assumption and 
Um, the assumption is that, you know, white people have white privilege. These are assumptions that, uh, I mean, they presented as this is to try to make sense of the world, but they, they start with that at the beginning. It's not like they've, they're collecting data and from the data they've collected, we, we can make this assumption. It, it's more, um, it, in fact, when the, para the paradigm doesn't even fit all the time. Uh, you know, this led to really weird stuff, right? And with beards are racist, farmer markets are racist, classical music's racist, but like all, it just connects everything into this grid of everything is motivated based on power, oppression, and race being a primary part of that. And so I would make a huge distinction between, uh, you know, Paul understanding platonic categories, um, and then the critical race theory and uh, sociologists who start out with um, assumptions that power just drives everything and uh, and and that there you're either an oppressor or an oppressed and, and ideology and the postmodernism that comes into it and all that that's that's much different uh, and those things definitely do contradict the word of God and we'll see if Kevin DeYoung picks up on it. Understand um, some of the philosophies of our world, but that. But, but our Bible gives us the answer. And if I were to quickly read my Bible, I'll just give you one verse in Isaiah chapter 52. In Isaiah chapter 52, here you know, the prophet is summarizing Israel's history. And as he summarizes Israel's history, he says this in verse 4, For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppress them for nothing. The Bible talks about groups oppressing other groups, and we don't have to qualify that, whether they're virtuous victims or that people really, groups do oppress groups, and the Bible just says that. And that was a phenomenon that happened in our American history. And so if groups can oppress other groups, and the Bible says that, we also can ask, are there, what remedies are that for that? And have the remedies we apply? Let me stop here. Of course, oppression exists. No one th before critical race theory, people knew oppression existed, right? And and the pushback isn't that oppression never existed in the United States. Uh, that I, I think everyone's no. I was it wasn't news to me that there was slavery existed when this whole thing started. Uh, with uh, in 2020, I was like, of course, I, you know, are there people that don't know that they just learned that? Um, oppression exists all over the world, and uh, really, honestly, any any one of you, any anyone listening who goes back and traces their family history, you're going to find causes for oppression, no matter who you are, somewhere along the line. Someone, some other group did something to you. And in the case of American slavery, uh, the the 95% that went to South America and Central America and the 5% that came to the United States, they were uh, sold uh, from those in Africa to European people or North uh, people from the Northeast who were... Um, were sailors and and owned vessels, slave merchants, and uh, and then they came and in turn sold them to planters uh, in the United States and, and of course all throughout the New World. And so uh, this is um, not a unique thing, and that's the thing. Critical race theory, uh, the, the problem with it is it really just makes it about a power dynamic that is imposed by white people. The, the Africans who sold their fellow Africans really don't have anything to do with this. Uh, it's the, again, the original sin is found among the white people. The white people are to blame for everything. And th that's really the more the root issue. It's not the objection is that's a straw man to think the objection is that some people are just denying oppression exists. No, that's not true at all. 
Um, everyone knows, everyone should know at least, that oppression does exist. But what are you using it for? What are you trying to, when you tell that story of oppression, what, what is the purpose of it? Is it to try to uh, forward some kind of a political agenda for, I don't know, some kind of a redistribution scheme or, or what? what? What is the purpose of it? And and then is it even a fully true story or is it emphasizing and certain things leaving out other things in order to give an impression that's not accurate in order to vilify in the present certain people for political purposes? Much different than uh, that. That's the kind of thing that is the issue, not whether or not oppression exists. Of course, oppression exists. Of course, people have oppressed other people. Uh, of course, uh, black people had barriers and major ones to becoming um, the recipients of the benefits that come with being an American in times past. Uh, yes, and, and uh, of course, th that is lamentable. And of course, that, that's something that we don't want. And, of course, you know, but, but here, that's, that's the thing. It's like, try to get, we, we in these discussions, rarely... Are the root issues actually brought up? So, you know, are white people fundamentally guilty for benefiting from a system that supposedly allocates privilege to them? You know, like answer that question, right? Like that that's kind of like the root issue with all this. Um, do we get more correct views on what constitutes injustice and how to solve it from people who have um, experiences uh, with injustice from certain social locations simply because they're in minority social locations. Uh, you know, uh, do, um, uh, should we view, sh should we adjust the way that we treat people to in here and now, today, because of their social location, their race? and give certain benefits to some people and certain benefits to other people and treat them differently. Like these are the root things that need to be debated. And we're, you know, I sense that we're dancing here on the surface a little bit with like, of course there's oppression, right? Like th this is, this is such a, um, just, just a point that all, all it does is waste time in my mind, uh, for, for getting into the root issues that really need to be discussed here. Effectively work. And I think we can disagree over that, but we can have conversations with our Bibles open as Christians at that point. Kevin, thoughts? Well, I, I, I like, I agree with everything you're, you, you said. I, I don't think that's critical race theory, so well, we'll set that aside. Make sure. So the observations Bobby's making about the, the situation in American history in the last 60, 70 years, this is also what you see. I, I think the questions you're raising are good questions. And I think, I think we have the residual effects. How could we not? I mean, just your own personal biography. How could we not have residual effects of legacy of slavery and Jim Crow and all the rest? What, what I do want to press in, because we've had these conversations. And, and Let me say this really quick. Okay. I think a lot of people say there is no residual effect. And you're saying that, and I think that's helpful for the conversation. I think some people say I think that you're right. we reached a colorblind society, don't bring up race. If you bring up race, and you bring, you're creating the problem, and you're the racist. There are people who literally say that. And I disagree with that. I disagree with that strongly, and I think we need to acknowledge that. I think any monocausal explanation for racial disparities is bound to be incorrect. 
life is complicated, humans make decisions for all sorts of reasons that are bound up in family and history and institutions and cultures and religion and decisions. So it's not one thing, it's many things. What I would want to say, because I think what makes these panels helpful is if we, we push and pull on each other. We've had these conversations in private before and I, I love Bobby and I respect him and I love his preaching of the gospel. Often, we end up talking about many different things. Are we talking about the past, the present, or the future? And the past certainly matters. And we can talk about what happened in American history. Why did it happen? I think we've traded a, if we've traded a hagiographical view of American history, we've now have in many places a hamartiography, meaning it, it's not all saints, now it's, it's all sinners. And I think that is part of critical race theory to have a revisionist view of American history, where I don't think that's how King or how Frederick Douglass, I think they viewed the founding generation as inconsistent, uh, sadly hypocritical, but putting in place the right sort of things that we need to have the full purchase of. So I think what becomes difficult is are we talking about what happened in the past and why? Are we talking about where things are in the present? Or are we talking about how things can become better in the future? And obviously, they're all connected. But I'll just lean into that. What I think one of the difficulties, I think for many people, Christianity starts to feel impossible, meaning I want to recognize the hurt, the history, I want to recognize and acknowledge it's worse than many people in majority culture learned. I think also then what many people sense and, and where the, the issue is, is what, what do I do about that? I can't change that Thomas Jefferson had slaves. I can't change that they did redlining. I can't change what happened up to the civil rights legislation and what's happened even since then. And I think then a, a secondary question is, can we acknowledge that we're, it's not 1619 or 1776 or 1865 or 1964, and that actually a lot of things have gotten, maybe not as good as many white people think, but they actually have gotten a lot better, and we are in a better place. And when you see the New York Times since 2014, you know, averaging, what, 500, you know, references to racism, and then it spikes, and white supremacy spikes when you combine WAPO and USA Today and New York Times. Why is it when I think objectively, probably no time in American history has there been less racism? I'm not saying no racism or that it's not insidious and pervasive, and maybe that's just uh, cultural norms that force us to press it down. But even that signifies something good, that racism is so stigmatized. Why is it in a time where there's less institutional racism, less personal racism, I think, than ever before, we see mainstream news outlets in all of our major entertainment outlets talking about it more than ever before. And maybe, you, I don't speak for you, you may say, well, because you, you haven't seen it or you haven't been willing to see it, I'm not saying me personally, but just whites haven't. And I think that's a very fair point in critique and we need to own up to that history. And yet I think that also ends, leads to a, a dead end in the conversation, a sense of helplessness like, what do we do? I mean, someone just came to my church this Sunday and it's just their own anecdote, maybe they're inaccurate. They said, 
first time visiting your church, our pastor, a white pastor, has been telling us to repent of our whiteness. I said, I don't know what to, God made me white. I don't know how to repent of it. I don't want to be a racist. I don't want to have the sin of partiality. Um, but I'm a white supremacist now. That's an, impo- that's an impossible burden. And I, and I do think many people, it's not just cranks on the far right who are trying to gin up votes. I think good, ordinary, faithful church people are, are feeling that. You're, you're- I'm going to stop right there. I, I, so I think it's obvious Kevin DeYoung is nervous. I think he, he did a, a decent job here, but he didn't go for the jugular, right? Um, you know, ra- racism actually, if you're speaking in terms of ethnic partiality, does exist. Um, he didn't say it didn't exist. I'm just saying it does exist, though, in a category that he's not even probably thinking of, which is now it's been flipped to where uh, you can't get a job, all things being equal, if you are white. If there's a minority who has the same qualifications, sometimes not even the same qualifications, uh, in some industries, it is harder to get a job um, if you're a white person. There have been now barriers placed in the way of, of that. And so we're entering this time of we have entered a time where uh, your you know your stories um, if if you're someone who's proud of your American heritage how many stories are there out there that reflect that today shows on television anything um, and and then compare that to all the different media things being produced um, to fight racism by telling stories of. Uh, of racism from the past and and so forth. It, it's really not much of a comparison. Um, it, it's we're seeing uh, in with the new and an out with the old. And the old is you know white white men in particular, straight white males. Uh, they are at a disadvantage in um, in many fields, especially uh, more the higher you go in elite circles. So yeah, there there totally is. Um, ethnic partiality that actually does exist and still exists. And I think it'd be fine if Kevin DeYoung pointed that out. I think that would be, you know, in, in, so in, in fighting, uh, you know, racism in in the name of fighting racism, you're, you're actually, you're doing the very thing that I thought you were trying not to do. Right. And then, and then, and then you get into this, what is racism, right? That would be a really good discussion to have. Is it, you have to have power to be a racist? Because if that's true, then that doesn't accord with the scriptural definition of what sin is. So they're, they're not they're not really getting at the root issues. They're kind of dancing on the surface still, in my mind, in all this. And I, like, I think Kevin Young is doing a decent job, but it, it's decent at best. It, it could really, you could tell he's struggling. He's, and like, I got to give him credit. In the room he's in, maybe I would be doing worse. There's a lot of pressure in that room. It's really difficult in that room to really take a big shot at critical race theory, name the names of the people in evangelicalism that are pushing it. Um, it, it would just take a lot of courage uh, to do that kind of a thing. And, um, and and so anyway, that's that's kind of how I am seeing it. I'm trying to think what else Kevin DeYoung said that I, there was something and I miss it. I'm forgetting it. I let him speak too long. I should have paused it when I thought about it. Uh, anyway, let's keep going here. I don't think we have too much longer. You're quoting the visitor at your church describing themselves, that the pastor at their previous church was describing them in yes. such a way now that they are supposed to understand themselves as yes. a white supremacist, when they do not understand themselves to be a white supremacist Correct. at all. Correct. Bobby? Uh, Kevin, you're not a white supremacist. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's important to say, and, and I'm, I'm really frustrated at the Christian voice in this con- conversation 
when we weaponize words. When we don't speak like brothers, if we, speak the, we don't speak the truth in love, then we're not being instruments of reconciliation. I think we need to strive for having one mind in these conversations. And I think it has to start with the church. I, 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 you know, I, I'm going to let the world do what the world does. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, they haven't been reconciled to God and to each other. The wall hasn't been torn down between them opposing groups, but it has between Christians. And so I think we have to use, the, you know, the, the grace that God has given to us to model this unity that Christ died for us to have. And I think we have to do that. And I think we're doing it now. And I think one of the reasons why we're hearing a lot about, you know, racism now, and, um, and it is because of the legacy of a past, that when we were, we were really segregated. Um, so black and white people didn't go to the same schools, didn't go to the same Bible conferences. And because we did that for so many years, our platforms are still fairly segregated. There are really black denominations that as many people are here will be there and there will be right. no white people there. Let, let me stop here. Uh, th there's different things that, that, that one of the history professors I had uh, said this well, that there are numerous forces at work that essentially converge to produce the state of affairs that exists today. It's never one thing. Uh, you, you can certainly have fun tracing things, one things through history, but it's, it's numerous things converge and they're converging all the time. It, it, history is complicated, but here's the thing with this situation. The assumption is just that it's just one thing. Segregation caused the situation that we're in today. And there, there's some problems with making it that simple. It doesn't mean that that didn't contribute, but what it does mean is that it doesn't, it, it doesn't actually describe why, why is there like a Chinese church down the street from my church? And it's, it's a Chinese Christian church. Why? You know, that, is it because, is that also because of racism or is it because people that have traditions, culture, sometimes it's based on language. They want to come to a church that has people like them and they worship sometimes in different ways. I've talked about it before when I, you know, went to a black church and had a great time and I I could have gone there and submitted to the pastor, I think. I mean, they seem to have decent theology and and the rest from what I understood, but the thing is they were they they worshiped in a very different way. Their sermons were very different from what I'm used to. There there would be a lot of things for me to get used to and I wouldn't go in there with the attempt to change any of it. Um, I, I think actually I want them to keep it the way that it is. Uh, I think it's a unique and a beautiful thing. So I think people tend to also make decisions based upon what kind of sermons are going to help them uh, learn and grow and what kind of music helps them worship better and facilitates that. And it is going to be a little different. There is a little bit of a subjective element sometimes to some of these things. And people are going to generally tend to be attracted to those who are similar to them. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. That's not like an evil thing. Are, are people in black churches now, I mean, they're supposed to all go to white churches? And this is like, or, or they're a racist? I mean, look, here's the thing, too. Like, in, I just read this the other day. I think it was like 1968 or 69. The va It was basically the same almost. The vast majority of black people were against interracial marriage just like the vast majority of white people were. It was like two percentage points difference. It, and it's like, like they, it, this wasn't all just, well, white people just forced black people into this. They all wanted to, 
you know, be in a white institution. That's clearly not the case because now that that is permissible in denominations and organizations in which it wasn't, you don't see streams of black people showing up or other uh, ethnicities showing up to it, people tend to be comfortable in with the people that are like them, people in the areas in which they live, people who have similar interests, similar cultural backgrounds and traditions, and you just understand each other. There's mutual trust. It's the trust thing. I've talked about this, talked about it in the last episode. So to just make it like that's the reason. No, it's not. It, it might be a contributing factor to some extent, but less and less so as time goes by. Um, in fact, a lot of evangelical organizations are doing their utmost to like go the opposite direction, give scholarships. Southern is doing that. Southeastern has done that. I just heard of another college recently doing this where they're giving out all these scholarships and full rides and all the rest to, to people who are, are black or Hispanic or um, Asian just to just to try to diversify their campus because they think it's wrong if it's not that way. And it's it's not creating hordes of um, of people of people just like hordes of white people aren't uh going to um uh going to 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 institutions in which uh, well actually let me put it this way hordes of appalachians aren't showing up at a lutheran seminary either in the midwest you know it's it's just there's another reason for that other than they'd be discriminated against all right um hmm let's just finish this there so the fact that we are trying now to sit at a table together and having these conversations, we're having conversations about race openly and publicly, and preferably we can make progress. Right. We can de-weaponize the language. We can be, have a lot of intentionality in what we do, like Jesus did in John chapter 4 when he intentionally tore down the wall in Samaria, like, like Ronald Reagan said, tear down this wall. But to tear down the wall, I think it takes us sitting at the table. I think it's re recognizing we have different communities because we... Because redlining still, I, I live in a black community, and, and so my churches are going to be black. But because Christ made us one body, very eclectic, I think we have to intentionally, as uncomfortable as these conversations may be, and these spaces may be, we have to love each other. Let me just say this. Uh, you know, one of my kids was really struggling. I have six kids. Well, they all at different times struggle. I struggle. <laughs> but, but my wife and I were really thinking we were going to lose one of our kids. And I just said, honey, I'm going to, but all the power and grace... God gives me, I'm going to keep this relationship. Mm -hmm. that, that I said that I'm going to keep this relationship. Yeah. And, I, and I, think, I think we have to do that. I think we have to, I can be I'm misunderstood, I can be defrauded, but I think we don't help keep the relationships when we turn around and hurt and injure each other. Uh, so I think the secular voices, left and right, aren't helpful. I think one of the books that we just gave out this weekend uh, has a man endorsing it, who rejects Jesus Christ, who rejects the re uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and Ben Shapiro. So if we're listening to secular voices, then James says there's a source of the wisdom we use. It could be a demonic source, left or right. So if we're leaning too hard with the CRT scholars, when they talk about there's no way out of, or they classify our whole group as being guilty of something, if we listen to that voice, or if we listen to the voice on the right that demonizes anybody who says that there's still a legacy that we have to resolve, that if we listen to either one of those voices, we're not listening to the spirit that's bringing about reconciliation. I think it's happening on both sides. Very so wait, what, what, who are the voices? So there's not a legacy that we have to resolve. 
what, what would be the resolution then? What does that look like? That's the thing. No, nothing practical has been suggested here. Uh, if Do we resolve it by, by what? None of these institutions are forcibly segregated. What? <laughs> See, this is the issue. I mean, critical race theory the theorists often say this kind of thing where it's like, well, we have so far to go. We got to do this and that. And, um, and oftentimes they don't get very specific with what their plans are and what the, how they intend to accomplish it. When they do, people are horrified and run away from it. So what? So we have to run away from the voices who think there's a legacy that we need to rectify today. But what? How? What to rectify? What? You, you, right? <laughs> That's, there's no specifics given here, and, and unfortunately, Kevin Young's not giving any specifics. He says that critical race theory threatens the gospel. He said that uh, at the beginning of this panel discussion, and, and and no specifics are given to where, who, how. This is this is why this discussion is very frustrating. It's the moment we're in. We've passed this. This discussion was for like 2015-16. It, it would have been great. Maybe even 17-18. But like now, in 2022, like we're just so far down the path of this that it, it's it's time to have some real hard discussions. And you know what is worth disassociating over because. Uh, it's not enough to say love, love, love. Let's sing kumbaya. We just got to love each other, even though we disagree on this. When there's you have one guy saying, "Oh, actually, this threatens the gospel," and 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 the other guy saying, uh, Pastor Bobby, uh, saying that actually uh, the thing that you said threatens the gospel is a useful tool for understanding the race relationships in the United States even to the present. So, um. We only have like four minutes left, so I don't know if they're going to get there. We'll see. Very unfortunately. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you for, Kevin, thank you for your comments. Uh, brothers and sisters, it's 12.05. It's if we're going to get to lunch, the situation here at lunch is tight. Uh, we're going to have to go. We knew when beginning this conversation we wouldn't get very far. We thought these days it's so rare to find Christians who will disagree kindly and charitably and clearly in public. We thought if we could begin that, that would be helpful. Thanks, Bobby. Sure. Bobby wants one last thing. Yeah. In these conversations, I keep saying, can I say one more thing? That I want to encourage my brothers and sisters. A lot of progress has been made. I, I think of what happened to Emmett Till. If you don't know the Emmett Till story, look it up. And I, I think of, that's my dad's lifetime. I think of what happened to Rodney King. And then I just look at the, the responses of late, like a George Floyd. I, I think that black people have been frustrated that they can't get the jurisprudence. They can't get these cases in court and get a fair hearing, and I think that's all changing. I do think that we don't live in a millennial kingdom. I don't think that this is a theocracy. So I don't know that secular, unbelieving people are gonna reconcile over these things. So I don't know that we're gonna get to the utopian right. ideal, idealized idea that America is gonna be without a sin of strife racially. Thank you, Bobby. No, no one's ever accused me of being particularly helpful on CRT. But uh, just as a pastor to pastor, simply three things on the, on the larger topic just of race that I would say that you could do that would be helpful. Uh, number one, make sure you try to go to at least one conference where you're racially in the minority. And now for those of you who here are Asian American, African American, that's super easy. Congratulations, you're doing that right now. But for those who are white, that can be a little harder and like, oh, where, where is that? How do I find that? I would encourage you to do that work. Uh, if you want a, a good one to go to, go to, go to HB's Cutting It Straight. I mean, there are good conferences out there where you can, you just learn things. I remember my first morning in Africa, kids wanting to come up and touch my skin. 
you know. It just, we all want to do that, Mark. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kevin. So uh, go to a conference in which you're a minority. Two, build personal relationships with pastors of different races. Build those personal relationships so you can have conversations like this that are even easier in private, as hard as they are, they're, they're easier in private. And number three, try to read widely in American history. Try to learn what's going on. Uh, try to learn things that have happened that maybe you didn't have to be aware of, that uh, there's much for us to be aware of and know of. Uh, let me just close this time in prayer and then we're off to lunch and we will see you back here for priests singing at 150. Okay, so that's the end of it. Uh, they never really did get to the root issues, unfortunately, which is sad to me because they had an opportunity. Uh, they didn't give it a lot of time either. I'm sure it was probably one of the more well-attended panels of the conference, but um, I don't know if I have any other additional thoughts for how it ended there. Um, I think Pastor Bobby kind of, he, he talked about that like progress was being made because they could get... Uh, their cases and black people could get cases no i guess attention on cases that were important to them and um you know what he sees as progress i think most people on who are suspicious of crt actually see as uh something very negative that you have the assumption of guilt on the part of the police officer being the thing that produces the attention from the media that he's and then that gets the the super uh, media energized focused court hearing which doesn't produce justice as easily because everyone's nervous about what the media is thinking and it uh it, it just makes the whole thing it, it racially it, not racially but it uh it, it just puts an unnecessary pressure and and so what he's seeing as the very reason for that is because CRT is making people assume the CRT infused minds are thinking it's got to be racism when there's no evidence for it. And that's what makes these things media spectacles. So that even that there's just such a divide uh, and and it's not being rectified by conversations like this. Nothing was really accomplished in that significantly, at least. Um there were no sparks or fireworks and there's still this sort of sense of like, we can have unity still. It's like, guys, it's 2022. Your churches have been splitting for like three years at least. And there's been all kinds of, um, the dust hasn't quite settled, but the dust is settling and there's, there, it's just ripping denominations apart. I mean, it's one of the reasons T4G is really ending. And this is the lackluster kind of response to all of that is we're going to have this, we're going to, you know, we can, we can love each other and sing Kumbaya kind of, and we have these disagreements, but we're never really going to go deep and really discuss them fundamentally and name names. And, and so anyway, that's my opinion. That's just what I think. What do you think? You can write in the comments. Uh, that's it for today. I hope that was helpful for you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.